What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Dimwing here with y'all, coming to y'all from a uh, blazy, chilly Louisville, Kentucky, here on Monday night, October 17th. Got a lot to get to on today's show, but uh, like last time, one sheet, so should be a bit shorter than uh, last podcast, uh, I believe it was last Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, we do have a lot to get to, though. I'll talk Hofstra schedule release, some scrimmage notes based on uh, multiple scrimmages that I was able to uh, dive into via film uh, from Saturday. And we'll take a fall snapshot and look at both Ohio State and Johns Hopkins, uh, continuing the uh, the Big Ten uh, thread from last week where we talked a little Rutgers. Before we dive into things, though, click the subscribe button if you are watching on YouTube. Leave a thumbs up. Helps the video uh, matriculation there. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave a five-star review. You can listen to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Now we have that uh, little business out of the way. Let's dive into things here and take a look at this Hofstra schedule, which was released last Thursday, uh, late, late last week, believe last Thursday, last Tuesday. Um, excuse me, last uh, Wednesday or Thursday. Let's get this. Uh, I, I got it last time. I'm share the screen here. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can also follow along here on the screen. Don't have to pull up a second screen here. So let's get this screen share going right here. Boom. There we go. 2023 schedule breakdown. The Hofstra Pride. This is a team that missed out on the postseason last year. They went six and nine overall, two and three in the Colonial Athletic Association. Remember, the CAA will look a bit different this year with Stony Brook entering as well as Monmouth and Hampton. The Pride will open their 2023 season against the same team they opened last year against, uh, and that is the Merrimack. Warriors, Hofstra travels to Merrimack on February 4th. They will then host Navy on February 11th and will have a uh, a big, uh, another big early season test there at Michigan on the 18th. Navy, Michigan back-to-back, uh, two of the bigger tests for Hofstra here in the month of February. You get LIU at home, you're on the road, against St. John, so playing two Long Island teams back-to-back, the 21st and the 25th. I believe one uh, one of those games, I know, is a midweek game there, um, if I have my calculations right on the dates. Um, Hofstra will then play Villanova at home on March 4th to open uh, the month of March. They also host Hofstra they also host NJIT, Syracuse, Fairfield, and Delaware, the latter two being uh, their first two CAA games. So in the month of March, Hofstra does not leave Hempstead 
as they play only home games during that second month of the season. And uh, those are some pretty big ones there. Uh, Villanova, Syracuse, especially uh, pretty big ones. Villanova, this is a program that a team that has been a consistent third best team in the Big East. They got over that Denver hump last season and frankly was the second best team in the Big East last year. Uh, could very well uh, be much of the same here in 2023. That's going to be a big test here for Hofstra there in Hempstead. Uh, you get NJIT, uh, which a game I would expect them to win. First year head coach Eric Wolf. We'll see how they do. Um, and then we'll talk about the Syracuse game here in a second. Uh, but Fairfield and Delaware are two games in CAA play. We know CAA play is always madness, uh, the crazy athletic association, as I like to call it. Uh, both those games will obviously be key uh, matchups there. But Delaware, especially to end the month of March, this is a Delaware team that uh, looks to be the class of the CAA once again. Um, this is a Hofstra program, frankly, that beat Delaware last year. Uh, if you remember, Delaware had those two losses early on in the early on in CAA play. One of them was to uh, the Hofstra Pride. Uh, this time, Delaware coming to Hempstead, so that's going to be a big, big game if Hofstra wants to uh, take that next step here in the CAA and get back to postseason play uh, where they were in 2021. The marquee game of the month of March, obviously being the Syracuse Orange heading to Hempstead. Uh, this is the first time, and we'll, we'll talk more about it down here when we look at some of these key games here, uh, but this is the first time, and I'll scroll down here for a second for y'all, uh, the first time since 2003 that the Pride and Orange go head-to-head on the lacrosse field. Uh, first time they will do so. Um, in Long Island uh, since, I think, 2002, I believe. Uh, it's been quite a while since these two have played uh, both team, uh, programs with storied histories, with proud traditions. Obviously, Syracuse, with the number of national championships they have, Gary Gate and company coming down here. Uh, they're looking for a bounce-back season. Hofstra, they're looking to get back, uh, have a better season than they did a year ago as well. So this is going to be a big, big matchup here on Long Island. Um, talent-wise, Syracuse should have the edge. Uh, obviously, when you look at what they have and you know what they bring in with all those transfers there. Uh, but uh, look, first time playing uh, since 2003, still a very big matchup, a highly anticipated matchup. Syracuse, not often that you get them on the road um, at your place if you're a program like Hofstra. Uh, so very exciting, exciting to see them travel there. Um, Villanova, as, as we mentioned, and, and Delaware also big, big games for Hofstra in the month of March. And that's a big, big month of March for the Pride. Um, certainly the latter two most meaningful uh, being that they are CAA games. Uh, the month of April continues CAA play for Hofstra uh, as typically is the case. At Monmouth, you're at home against Towson, you're at Drexel, you're at Hampton, and you end the season. I think this is a big game. I did not mention it as a key game because I usually only go with four games, and I do think the Villanova-Syracuse the game are very 
uh, important, uh, but if we're looking at, you know, uh, CAA games to circle here, certainly that Delaware game, and then secondly, that Stony Brook game. This is a Stony Brook program that's been pretty good the past couple of seasons. They do lose some big pieces from last year, uh, Kevin Mack, Anthony Palmer, uh, and Golda Mack being on the offensive end, uh, grad transfer from Michigan, uh, but you do have Dylan Palinetti back and a ton of talent there. Uh, and these two teams, Officer Stony Brook, that's a Long Island rivalry. Uh, these two teams have a, a history with each other, and it, it's always a pretty good game when these two get together. So uh, very, very exciting for that one. And I'm happy that the CAA made that one the last game uh, of the last weekend of the, of the regular season. That's a game that uh, could very well. We'll see how both teams do in CAA play up to that point. But that game, uh, A, it's a rivalry game. I love rivalry weekend being the last weekend of the season. But C, that is a game that could have serious, serious implications uh, for the postseason uh, with both those teams, the talent they bring back, and what each of them could be here. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day about the schedule, and they said, you know, I see three, five games on this schedule that have national implications here, um, and, to, and uh, at least two of them uh, happen to be a CAA contest, mentioning Delaware and Stony Brook. Uh, this is a pretty tough schedule here for Hofstra, an exciting schedule. And uh, as always, we love to see teams release schedules uh, as we get towards the season because we know might be October now. We might be, what, three, four months out until uh, teams actually get on the field in in January for preseason practice. But uh, the, the season, it's coming. It's here around the corner. Uh, it's October, not even Halloween yet. But uh, seeing these schedules get released is very, very exciting. And this offshore schedule uh, has me excited for what the pride could be in 2023. Moving on now to some fall scrimmage notes. And I'm going to try to keep this at five minutes with my comments here. So I was able to catch a couple of scrimmages via film um, games that were live streamed over the weekend. And that was St. Joseph's versus Canada White. Uh, St. Joseph's versus Denver. Both of those games took place in Ontario, north of the border, as Team Canada had their training camp. Uh, both of them were involved there. Albany was there as well as, as St. Bonaventure. Um, I've not yet looked at the film of the Albany-St. Bonaventure game, of scrimmage, I should say, but uh, we'll be doing so here uh, tonight. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that on uh, the podcast on Thursday. Uh, Harvard and Team Italy also played uh, in a scrimmage on Saturday night, and uh, th- that one I also was able to uh, devour on Sunday as well. It was a, a big day of watching lacrosse for me there on Sunday. Um, and, and here's just some general takeaways that, that I have from these teams after seeing them on film in those scrimmages. Um, first and foremost, uh, let's start here with St. Joseph's. I, I was able to watch them the most. Um, the, the I will say this, the Denver, their first scrimmage against Canada Red, that thing may have well been filmed from the parking lot three blocks over. 
Um, it, it was a terrible stream. It was really disappointment to have that kind of quality of stream there uh, for, for, for a game, a scrimmage here, which included many high-profile players, not only with Denver, but Team Canada. You've got pros after pro after pro on that roster. Teams have come together for the World Championships in uh, um, California over the uh, you know this next coming summer. So that that's why we're seeing a lot of these international scrimmages pop up once again this fall. Uh, and, and team camps, Team USA had their camp over the weekend. They played Maryland. Uh, really disappointing stream here uh, with that game, but was able to make out uh, the numbers and get a gist of that one when it came to. Uh, St. Joseph's in their game. Uh, unfortunately, was not able to do so with the Denver uh, game, their first scrimmage against the Canada team. Uh, but from St. Joseph's, what I saw from both of those games was, uh, so, so, so first of all, the Hawks lost to Canada White 13-7, and they lost to Denver 10-3. I will mention this, okay, and this is very important that you know this. Levi Anderson the uh, leading, uh, returning leading goal scorer, returning scorer for this Hawks squad was pulling double duty, as was defenseman Levi Voach. Both are Canadians, a uh, couple of multiple Canadians on that St. Joseph's roster. Levi Anderson played for Team Canada uh, White and then was also, uh, Team Canada Red was uh also played for St. Joseph's in that second scrimmage. Um, Levi Boach did the very did the same thing. He played for Canada White, so played against Denver earlier on in the day. Levi Anderson had two goals against his own team in their scrimmage against them. So you had two guys pulling double duty. Also, Zach Cole only faced off in that first scrimmage. Um, and uh, going up against Jake Withers uh, looked impressive. He struggled early on. Uh, but was able to adjust and then look pretty sharp, pretty consistent uh, in the second half of that contest. He only played in that scrimmage uh, by my count three quarters and took, I think, one or two draws in the fourth quarter of that first scrimmage. I had him going 50% approximately um, in that contest. Um, the Hawks had what I would call Typical fall issues. Um, the stick work was not very crisp. The clearing was not very good at all. Um, and it looked like a typical fall game where you have those issues. Stick work not dialed in. Clearing is is especially um, you know, not good. When you look offensively, obviously, Andrew, Levi Anderson's back, Matt Bomer's back, Carter Page is back. Um and then you have Tucker Brown back as your top midfielder. Uh, obviously, Anderson not playing in that first game there. Uh, Colin Campbell, the freshman, got the start in his place. He had uh, – I had him with one goal in that game. Uh, Matt Bowman had at least two two goals on the day as a whole. Um, I thought this offense y- – you could get a gist of what they were trying to do. Um, however, it was not just – it was not working – Having Anderson out and then having him back in there and the moving pieces there just uh, was not a, 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 a didn't yield a good result. Um, you did see, like, hey, this team is trying to move the ball. They were trying to get some downhill dodging going. 
from the midfield guys like Stephen Dwyer, who uh, looked pretty good. Um, I don't believe I had him with a goal. If I did, it was like one um, on the day, but obviously I could be wrong on that one. And it's a scrimmage. Everything's unofficial. Um, you can see, you can see what they wanted to do and you could see how they're trying to fit uh, Stephen Dwyer, Aiden Clark, the Wagner transfers into this offense. Um, you could see the talent, the ball movement, what they wanted to do with the pit game. St. Joseph's did offensively with that attack. And you certainly like, this is a talented unit. We know it's a talented unit. Just the stick work wasn't there. Um, you know, I thought Matt Bilmo played the best of, of the bunch. The ball was in his stick. We'll talk about the top end talent. The ball was in his stick a lot in both scrimmages. I thought he played the best of the bunch uh, there, speaking offensively. Uh, but, like, again, you could you, you, you got the sense of, like, okay, they, 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 they're trying to do this. And they did get quite a bit of looks on cage, quite a bit of shots off, just couldn't break the lid. Typical kind of fall offense, if you will, uh, in terms of their struggles. Defensively, Patrick Clemens, Matt Popek, uh, were the two poles that stood out to me the most. Robbie Seeley started the first scrimmage in cage, uh, played a bit of that second scrimmage as well. Uh, he didn't play the whole way through in, in either. Obviously, uh, I, I thought he looked good. This defense overall made some good stops. Um, I was impressed with some of the guys. They rolled out a number of guys at the defensive midfield spot. I was very impressed what I saw there. So overall, uh, for St. Joseph's, they, they looked shaky. They looked like a fall. Uh, they looked like a fall team uh, there with those clearing issues, with those stick work issues. Uh, but, but as uh, as I will say, I'm sure multiple times on this podcast uh, and multiple times as we get through uh, the fall, don't put too much stock into the fall um, because, look, you have guys missing. Uh, you know, guys haven't faced another Josie, another color Josie since May. There was a lot of rust. Uh, Denver, however, uh, did not look like there was much, much rust there. Now, there's a lot of questions for Denver coming into the season when you look at who they lose on offense. They lose five of their top six players um, offensively. Uh, Denver lost to Canada Red 10-6, to beat St. Joseph's 10-3. to uh, As mentioned, they did not – I did not uh, – I tried my best to watch that first scrimmage ended up not being able to do so with just could not make out the numbers there. Uh, but the second scrimmage against St. Joseph's, I watched that all the way through. Could see the numbers very, very well in that game. Uh, do want to mention Malik Sparrow did not make the trip with Denver up to Ontario. Uh, did not see him on the sidelines. Did not see him in the game. And he was not in uh, any of those, like a social media picture of like all of them there, um, did not see him there as well. So he did not make the trip uh, from what I understand. Uh, back to the offense, though, here with Denver. This is a team, as I mentioned, loses five of its top six scorers from last year. Uh, look, Denver, early on especially in that scrimmage against St. Joseph's, did have those same typical fall ball issues of miscommunication, bad stick work, uh, there were some throws that, that kind of sailed over guys' heads that 
uh, in the spring and once February comes, you don't expect those. And certainly once May comes, you don't expect those to, uh, th those issues to persist. Uh, and look, there was no shot clock in this event. I, should, I you know, I'd written um, in, in my article, if you read my scrimmage notes on this, St. Joseph's did have some good long possessions. That's where they were able to get a lot of those good shots off of Denver and the scrimmage against St. Joe's. Uh, moved the ball very, very well. Was able to set up some really, really nice looks for its shooters uh, up top on the wings. I thought the ball movement was really good. And if you remember back to the spring, this Denver offense, while did struggle a lot to kind of you know, get into rhythm last season, when they got that ball humming, they were pretty dang good. They did that against Ohio State in that win over the Buckeyes. And uh, they did so here on Saturday in this scrimmage as well. J.J. Silstrop, Michael Lambert, Richie Connell was the starting attack lineup that Denver went with in that scrimmage. They looked as advertised. Obviously, Silstrop and Connell, both guys uh, who, who, who highly – you know, you know, notable names here. Lampert, I uh, believe, started three or four games last season as well, kind of played a, a, a midfield slash attack role. Richie Connell, obviously, being the transfer in from Richmond uh, ahead of last season. Uh, he's a big body. He had at least one goal in this game. Uh, used him really good off-ball uh, player that he is. J.J. Silstrop uh, was the ex-attackman as expected for this offense, uh, Noah Manning, Mick Kelly, TJ Hussey looked to be the first line at midfield. Uh, Stephen Avery, Joe Tarboletti, and Jack Tortolani looked to be running as that second line midfield uh, in that scrimmage over St. Joseph's. I had uh, Silstrop with a hat trick, at least one assist. Lampert, Manning each had two goals. Uh, Connell and Tarboletti each had one as well. This is an offense I thought looked very good. They moved the ball well. Uh, they ran a bunch of dudes. Obviously, in these scrimmages, everybody gets a shot to play usually. They ran a bunch of dudes, especially at midfield, uh, was constantly changing things up. I thought they played very well. The starters played about three and a half uh, quarters of play uh, before they, they went with just full-on reserves. Alex Stathakis. He played a good chunk of this game, did not play the entirety of the contest, uh, but uh, gave Denver a really good possession advantage, especially in that first half. It felt like Denver had the ball down there for the majority of the time there, uh, which leads me to the defense. And uh, defensively, so we saw Jack Thompson get the start in cage. Uh, you know, as expected, he played very well, had some really good stops, especially in transition. Um, and, and stopping St. Joseph's, as I mentioned, got some really good looks, got some good shots on cage. He was always there. Um, Jack D. Uh, D. Bettinetto was the most impressive player, I would say, at close for this Denver team. And A.J. Mercurio, as I mentioned, Malik Sparrow not in there. A.J. Mercurio played at the LSM spot, um, who you know started at close last season. He's a guy that can play LSM and close. Um, was the most impressive player defensively for this Denver team. To no one's surprise, um, he, he was aggressive 
from start to finish in the action he saw on the wings, on defense, in transition. Uh, believe he you know, he almost had a transition assist uh, or an assist off a transition opportunity. Uh, you know, defense looked pretty good. They were able to uh, take advantage of St. Joseph's being a little shaky and uh, you know, took advantage of that got some good stops there. Uh, look, Denver had its fair share of mistakes overall, uh, but on Saturday they were the least rusty team there and uh, took advantage of that. The offense seemed pretty well. Defense looked good. Um, look, I'm not here saying they're in midseason form by any stretch of the means, but you know, compared to uh, St. Joe's, they looked pretty good in this scrimmage. And uh, the advantage to face off dot certainly helped. I, I think if you have Zach Cole playing in this game, playing in that scrimmage, Things are a little different. Certainly, if you don't have Levi Anderson pulling double duty, things look a little bit different as well. Uh, so, uh, overall, good game. Got to see uh, so a little bit of what's going to go on personnel-wise with both of those teams and uh, very excited what spring could bring for both St. Joseph's and Denver. Moving on to Jerry Bones, Harvard Crimson. They played a game that's actually restrained on ESPN+. Plus. 126 to 10 over Team Italy, which is a hodgepodge of talent, really. Uh, you had a number of guys who played professionally with the PLL. Uh, you had a number of guys, uh, you know, Mike Ippolito, I know from High Point, was on that team, as well as a number of Boston U players, uh, Louis Perfetto, uh there as well. So a lot of good players for this Team Italy squad. Um, that Harvard faced, and they they took it to him. Obviously, not much gel, not much uh, time to come together for that team, Italy team. Obviously, as they're looking forward towards 2023. Uh, really good game again for Harvard. Uh, they played North Carolina last weekend in a scrimmage, and you know all the reports coming out of there were this team, they've got some depth. They've got a lot of depth at midfield, especially. And uh, that was my biggest takeaway from Harvard in that scrimmage against Team Italy. I was particularly impressed. Andrew Bailey, Ray Doth, two guys that were uh, almost exclusively defensive midfielders last season as freshmen, getting runs at O-mid, going both ways, looked very, very impressive. Andrew Bailey especially uh, impressed me with his offensive talent. I believe he had one or two goals in this game. Um Logan Ip, uh, Francisco Cortez, a pair of freshmen that, and look, Harvard multiple times, they got these downhill dodging, some downhill dodges off of transition, you know, coming guys coming out of the box. And uh, Ip, Cortez, very, very strong, very good dodges from up top. And uh, Ip, I believe, had a goal. I think I know both had a goal in this game off of plays that way, dodging downhill uh, from up top. Very impressed with both those guys there at the midfield. And then obviously, look, Nick Waring, Isaiah Dawson, um, Andrew Perry, like these are guys that, that you know their names. You've seen what they've done over the years. Andrew Perry, obviously a good a freshman from last season. Uh, Miles Buttkiss, Luke, Lucas Hilsenrath, who uh, I know missed the North Carolina game. Dealt with some injuries last year. Um, a lot of names that, that you've heard about that were also in that mix and, and that are going to be uh, big-time players for Harvard 
2023, the attack spot. So really, there's not a ton of like open positions at Harvard with so much talent returning. That third attack spot, though, uh, is open there. And uh, Teddy Malone might have a little inside track on that one. Sam King starting at the ex-attackman. Obviously, Hayden Sheik starting there as well uh, uh, alongside him as the primary off-ball player. Uh, freshman Teddy Malone, sophomore Jerry Graham, each saw time at that attack spot. I believe it was Malone that got the start there, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but a, a really, really good uh, attack unit with those three. Cheek had three goals in the first half. Uh, Malone had two during those first 30 minutes of play. And they didn't play much after that as as they started putting in different guys um, and going with the reserves more and more here in the second half of play there. Much of the same is true defensively. Con Bergstrom, uh, Bergstrom chased Strupp uh, back at close defense. Both were very, very impressive there. Uh, you have Chase Yeager at the defensive midfield spot who uh, really impressed and, and continued to show uh, what he showed last season. Freshman Charlie Mueller got the start uh, there uh, alongside those two at uh, Bergstrom and Strupp at the close defensive spot, and he looked pretty good there. Uh, Tommy Martinson out due to injury. I know he was also out that North Carolina game as well, so it'll be interesting to see you know, what his status is as he comes back from this injury, and if he's back for the start of the season, obviously hope him uh, the, the, the best there. Um, look, as a whole, this, 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 this Harvard team stood out. This Harvard team showed their depth. They showed their talent. They showed, and look, it was against a team Italy team that didn't have much chemistry, not a lot of communication, not a lot of time playing together, but still looked very good. And uh, a lot of things I heard about Harvard from North Carolina showed up in this game and the scrimmage, I should say, against team Italy. Uh, Greg, uh, Greg Campsey and Chase Yeager. Uh, you know, Yeager mentioned at the defensive midfield spot, Ellison, Greg Campsey also had a solid day there as well. Uh, now, the biggest question, uh, two biggest questions here are for Harvard uh, at the faceoff dot and, and goal. At the faceoff dot, um, you had sophomore Andrew DeGenero get the start. He's the only returner who took any draws last season. He went, um, I believe it was like 85% in the first half. And then Matt Baracco, the freshman, also saw a good bit of action. Both dominated the competition uh, just right out the gate. So both looked very well. Uh, in cage, you had junior Christian Barnard, who got the start, played the first half. Uh, he looked very good in that defense, anchoring that defense well, made a number of really good stops. Uh, senior Jack uh, Schwendorf played the third quarter, and sophomore George Alvarez played the fourth quarter. Adam Blend uh, played, I, I heard, in the North Carolina game. At least I didn't see him play in this game, but, it, but if he did, it was just a minimal piece there. Um, in the scrimmage, but uh, personally, I did not see him on the field uh, watching on film uh, of this scrimmage. Moving on here to the fall snapshot series, so we continue on the site and uh, looking at 
Ohio State and Johns Hopkins as we continue this look, uh, continue the Big Ten trend. We looked at Rutgers last week, looking at both Ohio State and Johns Hopkins this week. Ohio State, this is a team that went 10 and 6, 3 and 2 in the Big Ten last season. This is a team that was very good and, and, and made the NCAA tournament. Obviously, lost to a Cornell squad that ended up playing in the national title game. Um, Ohio State, I have as a dark horse candidate as a championship weekend team here in 23. Big fan of what they bring back. Big fan of what they bring in. I think Nick Myers has recruited very well the past couple of seasons, so we should see some good uh, freshman young talent step up as well. This is a team that I'm very excited about. And, uh, you know, from looking on paper, from, from, from what you're hearing, this is a team that's going to be pretty dang good once again in 2023. And uh, the biggest aspect, I I think, so two biggest points here that, that I want to make with, with Ohio State is offensively, like, you, 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 yes, you lose a guy, Jackson Reed, and some other big-time shooters. But you still get Jack Myers back, who's been running that offense. Um, I, you know, he's not a true kind of ex-attackman. He can be that, you know. And he's a guy that can, can quarterback um, really from anywhere on the field. He's a multifaceted player, a very um, even guy in, in, in terms of, like, he's not a uh, – when you watch Ohio State play, Jack Myers is certainly running things. But he's not a – primary score or a primary passer. Like he can do a little bit of everything very, very good. They're getting in Richie Lacalandra. I think it's gonna be a good compliment to Jack Myers and is gonna be gives them a true X attackman that can really be a solid feeder. And when you look at the way that this motion op uh, 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 this motion offense operates, uh, having a guy like Richie Calandra in there is going to be invaluable. Um, so those two, I'm very excited about there. Uh, defensively, uh, look, you, you are going to have what I believe are the two is, is the best defensive tandem in the country anywhere outside of College Park. Um, maybe even better than College Park. I don't know. We'll see how things go. Um, and what I mean by that is that Patel may call it, but uh, Bobby Van Buren, Marcus Hudgens. Uh, Van Buren returns after a standout freshman season. Marcus Hudgens comes in as two years of eligibility left. Uh, the grad transfer from Army West Point obviously did not play last season uh, for the Black Knights due to personal reasons. This is a, this is a, I, I call it Buckeye Boom. This is a defense that's going to lock you down. This is a defense that's going to uh, be pretty dang scary, be pretty dang dangerous here in 2023. I think this is a, a Ohio State defense that, look, they've kind of been up and down a little bit here uh, the past couple of seasons when they have been really traditionally pretty good defensively as a top 15, top 20 unit. This is an Ohio State defense going to return uh, to that level next season or very well could with the talent they have with a guy like Bobby Van Buren and with a guy like Marcus Hudgens joining him, that tandem very, very well could be 
the best tandem of defensemen in college across next season. The talent that both of them have, the size, the skill, what they've shown at the college level uh, to this point. I'm very, very excited about what Ohio State brings in there with Bobby Van Buren, with Marcus Hudgens, and, and that defense is just one area that I'm very excited about with this Ohio State team. I'm going to say it again. This is a team that is a dark horse to make championship weekend for real. This is a team that if they can get over Rutgers, if they can you know, sustain that second spot in the Big Ten or gain that second spot in the Big Ten, I think that's very likely. Uh, this is a team I think that's going to be much more competitive against the top end of the Big Ten than they were last season. And that wasn't too through the fault of uh, Ohio State. That was to, you know, hey, these teams are just that much better than you. It's, it's, it's a bit more even keel this year uh, when you look at the difference between these two teams, uh, b- between those top three teams, Ohio State, Rutgers, and Maryland. The gap is not as wide. I think I, I would still probably, based on what we've seen, I would still say Rutgers, Maryland, maybe have a bit of an edge there, Maryland for sure. Um, but this is a Ohio State team that I'm pretty excited about and I think can be pretty dang good here in 2023. Now, moving on to the Johns Hopkins Blue Jays. This is a team that uh, was was not up to standard last year. I will say this. I do think Johns Hopkins was better than maybe a lot of people uh, give them credit for. And I, I understand uh, the standard, and they didn't meet the standard at all, uh, very clearly. I'm not saying they met the standard at all. But for what it's worth, this team was probably better than, than the, their fans would, would like to admit or would like to credit them with. Um, well, they went 7-9, and 2-3 in the Big Ten. They had some good wins. Uh, they, they had that quarterfinal win in the Big Ten uh, over – Penn State, and uh, they had some good offensive performances that game against Penn State as well as the game against Michigan. Uh, Delaware Navy losses really brought this team down. The Syracuse win um, was was a pretty good one as well. And look, the, the, the losses I mentioned, Delaware Navy, it was the first time since 1969 uh, that the uh, that the midshipmen had won at Homewood uh, and the Blue Hens. That was their second ever win over Johns Hopkins in program history. You know when the first came? Pause for a second. I'm going to let y'all guess. When was the last time Delaware beat Johns Hopkins ahead of last season? Okay, you've got it. 1955. I wasn't born. Neither of my parents were born. My grandparents were five years old. That's been a while. It's been a while. That has been a while. Uh, the, 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 the biggest thing with Johns Hopkins that I was a fan of last year, and I've mentioned this multiple times, was their defense. Now, you're going to have, I think, a pretty good defense once, once again. You get um, back a, a pretty good, solid defense uh, you lose Owen McManus, which is going to be a big, a big uh, hole. You lose Josh Coson and Cage, which Josh Coson, 
he had a solid career. I wouldn't say it was stellar. Um, you know, this defense as a whole kind of was up and down last year, but but I was more or less I was always more confident with the Johns Hopkins defense than with its offense last season. Uh, Brendan uh, Suzuki is back. Scott Smith is back. Brett Martin is back at the defensive midfield spot. I thought he uh, played very well last season. Scott Smith was one of my, you know, breakout players of the year as he was a sophomore last season and Roy stepped up when needed as a big piece of this defense. They get Alex Mazzone in from Georgetown, the LSM grad transfer. Luke Caracciolo transfers in as a goalie from Bryant. This is a Johns Hopkins defense I think is going to be pretty good next season. Now, we'll see how good and, and, and how well they do um, against some of that upper echelon talent that they did struggle with last year. But you had good defensive performances early on against Jacksonville, against Loyola. We'll see how things go this year for this defense. They, they weren't the best in the country last year but, but by a long stretch, but they were fairly solid, had some shining moments, uh, clearing the ball out of the defensive end. We'll see how that goes. Um, that was an issue for this team last season. It did get better as the season went on, uh, but I, I just remember that that Syracuse game was a, a clearing slugfest uh, for the uh, Blue Jays, a, a clearing struggle. I should say for the Blue Jays, uh, Luke Caracciolo in goal. I, I think he's got that spot locked up uh, there. You see what he's done at Bryant, and uh, you see what he can do at, at that level and, and against some of those top teams they played. I think that's a good, good addition there, as is Mazzone for this defense. Uh, now looking offensively, that's kind of where the, where the eyes are, really, for Johns Hopkins is offensively in 2023. This is an offense that Look, last season you had guys like Joey Epstein. You had guys like Connor V. Simone. And you didn't produce. You, you, you didn't produce. Um, this is an offense that averaged 10.9 game goals per game. And, well, yes, that's average, I would say. Um, they, they had a team shooting percentage of 26.9%. That, that's, that, that's good. That's, that's not bad. Um, you had the 18-12 one over Towson, the 15-12 one over Michigan and the 16-8 win over Penn State in the Big Ten uh, quarterfinals. That, that was the offensive highlight last season was, was those games. Um, against those tougher teams, they struggled to put up points, and uh, very much so, right? Um, from that unit last season, Degnon returns, Jacob Angelus returns as well. Um, Jonathan Peshko, Brendan Grimes are two midfielders that I'm looking at to step up big time here for this team. Uh, Peshko had a, a solid game against Syracuse. Grimes had a couple of good games as well. Uh, Grimes is my potential breakout player for this Johns Hopkins team. Uh, you're looking at their offense here in 2023. You also get in a transfer from Marquette. Russell Melendez was a, a pretty high, uh, highly rated recruit uh, for Marquette to get had a solid uh, couple of years there up there in um, Wisconsin. And uh, now looking, uh, you know, to come to Johns Hopkins, I, I think he can be a big part of this offense. Um, so I mean, they've got some good pieces. 
And they've also got a new offensive coordinator to work with that. And John Crawley, the Hopkins alum, comes after a uh, four-year belief stint there at Lehigh. Uh, oversaw offenses in 2020 and 2021 that averaged 14 points per game. And I would say, on average, looking at like recruiting rankings, Johns Hopkins should have more talented players than, than Lehigh's. Not to say they're always better uh, players, not to say Lehigh doesn't have players that would come to Hopkins and start, um, because it's the case with, with most of those Patriot League teams, you do have one or two guys, maybe each year, maybe three or four, right, at various positions that can come into a Big Ten, to an ACC, and start. And we know Johns Hopkins athletically hasn't looked up to par uh, with what they should be and and with those other uh, Big Ten, with those other ACC teams they need to be competing against. Even some of those Ivies look more competitive, look more athletic, look bigger and stronger than Hopkins in certain positions. John Crowley coming here now, having the talent that he can work with at Hopkins, having what he, you know, knowing Johns Hopkins, right, being a player there, uh, Back in the day, which when he graduated, 2012, 2013, something like that. Um, he knows the ins and outs of this program. He knows how things are supposed to look like you at Johns Hopkins. Uh, I, I think it's a big hire for them. And uh, hopefully uh, Hopkins gets some success going here offensively. John Grant Jr., uh, that offense, for whatever reason, just was never able to click. And I know they didn't have a uh, fall ball that first year he was there, but still uh, things didn't click this past year either. And they did have a fall ball. So, uh, you know, he steps aside and, and John Crawley comes in from Lehigh. Uh, offensively is where my eyes are focused on mostly with this Johns Hopkins program coming into 2023, looking at how can they improve. And then look, if they can improve, if this Hopkins team proves to be able to improve, what is the ceiling for this team? What are the expectations realistically for Johns Hopkins? And you three of Peter Norman, what are the realistic expectations? I do not expect them to beat Maryland, but crazier things have happened. I don't expect them to be better than Ohio State, maybe even Rutgers. Um, I think they're probably going to be the fourth best team in the Big Ten, but that's still a pretty good place to be. And if they can overachieve that, if they can prove me wrong, that's fantastic. I hope they do so. The sport is fun when Syracuse is good. The sport is fun when Hopkins is good. I know those fans uh, love it. And the sport in general loves it when those teams are good. Uh, Princeton is good again. Things are fun. Um, it feels like 1998. And I'm not just saying that because Tennessee beat Alabama on Saturday. But uh, part of it as well. But, you know, feels like 19, feels like 1998. Um, feels like the 90s again with, with some of these teams that are coming up. Princeton back. Uh, can Syracuse, can Hawkins get back in it as well? Uh, and obviously talking about Hawkins here today. It's a team I think a lot of promise there. We'll see how things go. All right, folks, that is it for today's episode. As always, thank you all for tuning in. You can connect with us on social media at Bucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. LacrosseBucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season, and you can listen to the Lacrosse Bucket podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcast.